Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Saw a few uh, uh, friends that I haven't seen for a little while this morning. I'm so thankful for those of you that are showing up. I, I see a few football fans. Yeah, I know you're all ready for the game today. You came early. Uh, what I wanted you to know, I just wanted you to get ready. I've decided to slowly read through all of these books this morning, but <laughs> don't worry, you'll be there. Just tape it, uh, you know, whatever it is that you do. It'll be there for you at 7 o'clock tonight when we're done. <laughs> we're wrapping up. Uh, by the way, yeah, this is a great time for us to have a battle on the screen between a ram and a beast, Right? Wrapping up the book of Daniel. Uh, if we follow Daniel's script, though, the Bengals have to win today in a come-from-behind victory because the underdog always wins. I didn't get any real hallelujahs. Uh, <laughs> Lisa, I think the Rams will do well today, okay? All right. Lisa's voting for Rams. We all should, too. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 11, verse 35, through the end of the book, and uh, this will be the second week of uh, a whirlwind tour through the end of Daniel, and uh, Pete and I were talking about the uh, intention, the purpose of a Sunday morning sermon as compared to a uh, week-by-week teaching. Uh, Remember, our point up here is to be able to preach to you these, these grand themes, but also to whet your appetite. This is not supposed to be the totality of your Christian life, Sunday morning, one hour a week, all right? Do we get an amen there? You should be reading your Bible on your own. We're going to point you to places that will be really fun for you to dig in, and you should not be afraid to read any of God's Word. We will tell you here on a regular basis, there is no secret portion of Scripture. There is no portion that's only for scholars to read. Read it all. Come up with questions. God intended that there would be places in there where you say, man, your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. You should run into that. If you haven't, get a different devotional, okay? Find something that isn't just speaking to you in pleasant tones about things that you can wrap your mind around today, this afternoon. Get into the Word. So the point of our preaching is to whet your appetite, and this morning, I want you to see something that happens at the end of the book of Daniel, and I don't know if you've ever seen these videos where they will have smashed something, but instead of showing you the process of smashing a vase or, you know, a glass or something along that line, uh, they actually show you the video in reverse. So all you see are these shattered pieces slowly gathering back together and then becoming something perfect in the end. What is revealed to us at the end of the book of Daniel, what is revealed to us in the book of Zechariah, when we hear about it from the minor prophets, when we read it in the book of Revelation, what God shows us is the shattered vase of the world. Mankind, by not choosing God's will, smashes the vase. But instead of leaving it completely broken, God says, hey, I just want you to study this little piece, Daniel. I got 10 pieces of the vase here. I'm going to show those to you. They'll study them and put them into place. Zechariah gives us a few more pieces. Revelation gives us a few more pieces. 
But he says, at the end, you're not going to see the full picture until on the other side I say, see what I told you? And you'll see it perfectly in the end. He'll put it all back together. It'll be perfect because that's the kind of God that we serve. He gives us little glimpses to study so that we will see that he's the one in control. If he left us in control, it'd just be more broken glass and ruined lives. So the point of this is that we would trust him. With that in mind, we're going to enter into our last study in the book of Daniel. And uh, it starts with a real evil dude. It ends with a real glorious promise. All right, Daniel, chapter 11, verse 35. Let's stand and read this through the end of the book. Wrapping up the final prophecies that Pete went through, uh, like 130-some prophecies in 35 verses Pete was able to do last week. I can get through my few. But it says this. Some of those who have insight will fall so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed. Get this phrase. This is why we started here. Until the time of the end. For it will still come at the appointed time. There's a break from what he was talking about beforehand to what he is about to talk about that happens right there in that verse. Then verse 36, then the king will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He'll say outrageous things against the god of gods. He'll be successful until the time of wrath is completed because what has been decreed will be accomplished. He will not show regard for the gods of his ancestors, the gods desired by women or for any other god because he will magnify himself above all. Instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God his ancestors did not know. With gold, silver, precious stones, and riches, he will deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. He'll greatly honor those who acknowledge him, making them rulers over many and distributing land as a reward. At the time of the end, mark that again, the king of the south will engage him in battle But the king of the north will storm against him with chariots and horsemen and many ships, and he'll invade countries and sweep through them like a flood. He'll also invade the beautiful land. Many will fall. But those who escape from his power, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of the Ammonites, he'll extend his power against the countries, not even the land of Egypt will escape. He'll get control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the riches of Egypt. The Libyans, the Cushites, will also be in submission. But reports from the east and the north will terrify him, and he will go out with great fury to annihilate and completely destroy many. He'll pitch his royal tents between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain, but he will meet his end with no one to help him. At that time, note once again a time marker, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise. There'll be a time of distress such as never occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life, some to disgrace and eternal contempt. But those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret 
and seal the book until the time of the end. Note that timing again. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and two others are standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. And one of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long until the end of these wondrous things? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river. He raised both hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. When the power of the most holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I didn't understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? And he said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret, sealed until the time of the end. Another marker. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time of the daily, sacrifice, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits and reaches for 1,335 days. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest, you will rise, and you will receive your allotted inheritance at the end of days. This sends the book of Daniel. Do you believe that these words were meant for you to read and have some understanding? It is. You may be seated. I wanted us to walk through some of these. Um, As I said before, just reading this should whet your appetite. You may not be able, uh, we can't unpack all of these verses this morning. Uh, I do have uh, a few books here that are available for you. We can show you where to get these. 101 Questions About the End Times tackles these passages, uh, a book by David Jeremiah called The, the Prophecy um, a Book, a little book of uh, Bible prophecy. We have that here. Uh, we have a, a new one for you. I'm going to do this without falling off the stool. The Nonprofit's Guide to the End Times. Uh, you'll see some of those charts here uh, this morning if you would like that. Uh, If there's a small group, if you are an Oikos group and you'd like to just look at a six-week study of the end times that unpacks these things a little more deeply, uh, we'll provide those for you. Uh, They come with uh, their own PowerPoint slides, uh, study, backdrop, all of these things where you can dig deeper. We don't want you to be left in the dark. We also have Logos coming up where if you've been reading something in the Bible and you have a question, you can say, here's where I was reading, I don't get it, and you submit that question, just come. On that Wednesday night, we'll tackle questions that you've encountered while you're reading the Bible. We don't want you to be distressed. We do want you to see, in this passage, God actually has a plan. Are you aware of that? He says some specific things and then says some things that are a little bit hard for us to wrap our mind around, and part of that is the language of the day, but part of that is, he says, I want you to see that there's something I've got planned But I can't give you all the details because you'll spend all of your time freaking out about that rather than living your life. That's actually God's plan. His heart for you is like a good parent. Do you know as a good parent there are some things that you reveal completely to your kids and there are other things you wait until they are teenagers and then later on you just say wait till you're an adult and then you'll understand, right? Well, some of us still do that. 
you may just give them all the stuff at age five or six and then deal with the damage. But uh, you don't hand your business to a five-year-old. You allow them to wrap their minds around details one piece at a time. God, as a good parent, gives us a little bit, a little glimpse into the future. First phrase that we need to wrap our minds around is the times of the end or the last days. He says here, the last days, uh, verse 35, uh, so that they may be refined and purified and cleansed until the time of the end. It's an actual Hebrew phrase. Uh, G.K. Beale does a wonderful job of tracing this out, starting all the way back at the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis um, in Numbers 14 and Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 30, uh, Moses actually tells what will happen at the last days. He talks about nations being formed and being brought against Israel, he speaks about things that aren't even in existence at the time and says, in the last days, this is what will happen, but God will send a ruler. It's a phrase that gets developed all the way through the Old Testament. It's a phrase that Jesus used. It's a phrase that the apostles used. It's an important phrase. The last days. Daniel 35 starts it all the way through the end of the book, that specific Hebrew Grouping of words comes up six times, 14 times it's referred to. He wants you to get that he's talking about the end days, all right? Not the day that Daniel's in right then, but the end of days, the final moments. Now, there are two mountains uh, that uh, are in view here. I want you to see this uh, mountain peaks of Bible prophecy. It's a classic way of looking at it. If you go back to Genesis 49 and you hear about the end of times, and it looks like he's talking about just the next days that are ahead. It looks like the next mountain is just right behind the front mountain in that first picture on the left. But on the right-hand side, we actually see there's quite a bit of space that would be in between those. If you look at mountains just in the range that are off in the distance, you may mistake mountains uh, as being sisters or even right close to each other without seeing any valley in between them. What scripture does is it tells you, hey, I want to show you this view that's off in the distance. And as we get a little closer to that first mountain, it then unpacks the space that's in between. It says, no, there's still things that are future. We don't have any problem of this. Uh, classically, as we read prophecy about Jesus, um, we read in First, chapter, uh, first Samuel chapter 7, a promise that is given to David about somebody a descendant of his that will sit on his throne, that will build a temple, and his kingdom will be forever. Well, he did have a son that sat on his throne and built a temple. His name was Solomon. But in all of history, even the Jews did not accept that was a fulfillment of the prophecy, for he did not rule and reign in righteousness forever. There was a piece of it was incomplete. So it was almost the answer, but not yet. There is still one coming, they say, who is the king who will rule and reign. In the same way, there's prophecies all the way through on Christ. We accept those openly, but when it comes to some of these, we say, no, nah, let's wrap it all up right now. What Daniel is doing is giving us a picture of what will happen in the very end. The phrase, the end of days, actually occurs in Jeremiah 23.20. I want you to see this because it's right before the passage we are told in Daniel chapter 9. He's been studying He's been studying Jeremiah 23 through Jeremiah 30, and in there is that promise of 70 years that you'll be in captivity, and I'm going to bring you back. But it starts and ends with that phrase, in the end times. Look at what it says in Jeremiah 23, 20. 
It says, the Lord's anger will not turn away. In other words, I'm going to fulfill everything that I told you I was going to do to punish you and, and uh, make sure that you start thinking right. It says this, the Lord's anger will not turn away until he has completely fulfilled the purposes of his heart. In the time to come, it's that same Hebrew phrase translated a little differently here. But in the time to come, you will understand it clearly. What is he saying? You only see a little picture of it right now, but in the time to come, I'm going to show you. I'm going to put all these things in perfect place. I'm going to show you how this gets accomplished. That's a, uh, the phrase that we're looking at is the end of time. So what's going to happen at the end of time? First, there's an antichrist. Uh, end, end times, the very last days, in the end of our days, we have AARP, right? This is AARIP. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to do it as quickly as we can. A-A-R-I-P. First, Antichrist. Antichrist. Uh, verse 35 of uh, chapter 11 through the end of chapter 11, we meet this bad dude. A king will do whatever he wants. He exalts himself above all other gods. He exalts himself above all the nations. Earlier in the book of Daniel, we find out a, a description of him. In fact, uh, we have a little description here in our notes uh, he's the little horn, remember, the one that was curious. What's this horn doing on this animal? And all of a sudden it grows into this massive thing. A fierce-looking king in Daniel 8, a master of intrigue. Daniel 9 says he's the ruler who will come. Daniel 11, he's a contemptible person. So far he hasn't gone away from describing, you know, some even in politics. Zechariah, a shepherd who will not care, a worthless shepherd, a man of lawlessness, the lawless one. So it's actually somebody who begins to say, laws don't apply to me. In fact, the laws don't apply to you unless I say they do. Follow me and the law, you'll be above the law. He'll get rid of law. He'll be a law unto himself. The rider on a white horse, whenever we think of a white horse, we think of somebody who comes riding in to save, right? Well, he's gonna pretend he's the one that comes in as a savior, but actually he is the antichrist. He's re trying to replace Jesus, saying, don't follow him, you follow me. Revelation 13, one calls him a beast. He's an aberration and somebody who will rise. What it says is that people will be so hungry in the end times for peace and safety that they will elect the antichrist in order to keep them safe. I just want to submit to you that we are in a culture that is more concerned about their comforts and their consistency than they are about Christ. Just let that settle. Because some of us in the room are more concerned about our comforts and our consistency than our faith. It's a sign of the end times. I want you to notice where this one camps. This is all we have time for this morning. It says at the time of the end, He'll get engaged in battle, king of the north, king of the south. Uh, it's interesting in uh, other passages in Ezekiel. Uh, it highlights that it will be Rosh and Elam and Tubal. Uh, this is something that you need to watch out for. And I don't know if you'll ever see this in your day. But it actually says in the end times that Russia and Turkey and Iraq will stop hating each other and will form a union and will want to fight against Israel. Do you think you'll ever see that? Just mark that down in your Bible. Those are the historic places that were always against each other, but now will come together in a conglomerate. I think we're seeing a massing of troops that just tells you it's possible to think this way. I don't think this is the end times moment, but I do think right now we ought to look at it and say that a hunger there inside man to fulfill these prophecies. Where is he going to actually camp? 
He's going to get ready for this great big battle. It says he'll get control over the hidden treasures of gold, silver, and all the riches of Egypt. Reports from the east and the north will terrify him. He'll go out with fury to annihilate and completely destroy many. So he's on a tirade to rule the world. And he'll pitch his royal tents between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain. We've got a, a picture here of a, a great big valley that is in between the sea and Jerusalem. Look at this massive place. There's a big highway there in Israel. Uh, UNESCO has actually uh, bought a piece of this price here, a place right here where they're doing excavations because they have discovered that the first historical recorded battle in history was fought in this area by Egypt. And they're excavating this place. It was also the place where King Josiah was killed. First battle in recorded history, the last uh, battle of a, a righteous king there in Israel. This is Tel Megiddo. Look at where this place is found. Megiddo, or a place that is called Armageddon. Where is this guy going to be? In this great big valley that even today is perfectly suited for people to gather. The only other option for armies is to go out into the desert where we even have tanks still buried from practicing out there. You either go through Megiddo or you go out into the deserts that are still at this time hard to do war in. He camps to this place. This is a man that is still to come. Once again, can't unpack it. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Is looking off and saying, the lawless one has not yet happened. What's interesting to me, folks, in the early church, they did not see this as having all been fulfilled. Irenaeus, the disciple of Polycarp, um, he was discipled by John, who wrote the book of Revelation, had this to say about the Antichrist. He said, John affirmed the teaching of Daniel in his apocalypse concerning the ten kings who will arise. In Revelation 17, 12, he teaches us what the ten horns will be, which were also seen by Daniel. It is manifest, therefore, that these are potentates, these kings, the Antichrist shall slay three and shall subject the rest to his power, and he himself shall be the eighth among them. He says here, A.D. 100, a little bit later, this is still to come. We still believe that God will fulfill his word literally. We're looking for this to happen. The early church believed they were still looking for this lawless one. They were encouraging one another, look for God's fulfillment. That's the A, but there's another A here, angelic intervention. It says in 12.1, it says, at that time, once again, a time marker, Michael, the great prince, that's at the time of Armageddon, at the time of this final king, Michael, the great prince, it's now bringing you up into heaven and showing you something that is going on in um, the angelic realm. Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. By the way, that's just a phrase that says he was on pause. Now he said, it's done. I'm standing up. We're going to help some folks. Why? Because there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since the nations came into being until that time. Just on your own, in your Bible, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, he's still looking forward to that time of the abomination of desolation, and he says that it will be a time of distress unlike any other that has occurred until that time or will ever be. So if we think that it's already happened, we've seen distresses that are worse than 8070. We've seen distresses that are worse than what even happened with Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, we've seen distresses in World War II that are terrifying. He says it's going to be a time of distress that's far worse than anything we've ever imagined. 
I want you to remember after Michael rises up, there's a, a pause that ends. 70 weeks of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, we walk through this. Uh, we see this clock go on pause right there. After Jesus is revealed and the Messiah is cut off, Daniel prophesied that that would happen. And then he begins filling in with some words, a, a couple of thoughts of things that will have to be in place. And then there's a final seven years that he highlights in that prophecy. In between there, there is the church age, the time of the Gentiles, when Gentiles are trampling the earth and also all over those courts. The Antichrist is the one that, when he shows up, starts that clock ticking again. When he signs a decree to bring peace to the Middle East, which we've never seen in the last 2,000 years, Israel becomes a nation once again in 1948. They've been opposed consistently One of the signs of the times is a rise of anti-Semitism and against Christianity. Antichrist gets revealed and that final seven-year tribulation happens. This is something that will happen. Um, What does he say? Michael rises up so that there will be a way of escape. Your people who are found written in the book will escape. Why? Because God will protect them. Angelic intervention, but it also talks about a resurrection. Verse 2, chapter 12. It says, Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. We see this described in Zechariah 14 and in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 12. Uh, we have these two groups that are highlighted. All we have time this morning to talk about is this guarantee. God says there's going to be a resurrection. He says that you and I as believers will see that millennial kingdom. We'll actually see what does it look like if a righteous politician, a righteous ruler rules the entire world. Jesus will put it on display. Folks, Jesus is going to put it on display. He's going to do it. He's going to put on display what it looks like to lead the nations, and the nations will stream to him and be glad. But there's a second group at the end of that millennium that will be resurrected. And these are those who have rejected the entire time. That resurrection happens at the time of that final judgment. Remember, this section is indented. It's intended for you to look at it, to think through it, and to look through the rest of scriptures to see how it's fulfilled. It's just a taste. It says, but you, Daniel, keep these words secret and sealed in the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Verse 4 gives you a little uh, key. What he's not telling Daniel is to hide away the book and make sure that it's impossible to understand it. But what he says is keep it sealed. It's the same term that's used in the book of Revelation of the sealing of the 144,000. People keep trying to kill them, but they were not able to be killed because they were taken care of by God. So he says, Daniel, seal this book up. In other words, make it accessible to people. Put it in places where it's never going to be destroyed. Get all the copies out there. Make sure that others are able to find it. In the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, that they found, they found the book of Daniel repeatedly copied and made available for people to study so that they would know what would happen at the time of the end. The book of Daniel is a book we're reading right now, and the words that we have are the same that they were studying back then. It has been protected so that we'd be able to have some insight into the end times. 
He says, you, Daniel, keep these words secret and sealed until the time of the end. Well, what time are you talking about, Lord? He says, many will roam to and fro, or literally, they will go back and forth. It's the idea not only of physically being, having easy access to the rest of the world to gain information, but an ability to flip back and forth and grow your knowledge quickly. I want you to see, this is an insight that he gives to the end of days. How should we know that we're close to the time when... All of this is going to be fulfilled. Well, he says that many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. I want you to see a world population. 10,000 BCE, pretty slow growth, right? All the way up to, what's the population there at 2,100? I mean, we're, we're looking at billions and billions. What are the chances that we double in population um, more quickly in the next 25 years than we did in 4,000 BC? pretty high. We're doubling and there's more happening. The more people that you jam into a space, the more opportunity for us to expand our knowledge, but also our sinful tendencies, correct? Look at the life expectancy, though. Life expectancy is going up. Not just 70 years, 78 years here in the United States, but along with that, look what else is growing. National debt, Notice the line right below that. You keep saying all this national debt. We're ridiculous. We have all this debt as a nation. Well, the line underneath that is your debt. All right? Trillions of dollars. Folks, pay one of those cards off. (laughs) Also, another sign of the end times, the growth in the number of Starbucks stores. (laughs) By the way, while we were sitting here this last week, that number doubled. It's at 32,000 stores, I think, right now, 36,000. That's because we are so tired trying to keep up with all this information. But I want you to see what is the actual statement that is made in the book of Daniel as a prophetic sign of the end of times, a knowledge that increases. Look at this. In the 1900s, the doubling of knowledge was every 100 years. 45, uh, 1945, it was 25 years. 1982, it doubled every 12 to 13 months. 2020, IBM, it says, predicts knowledge doubles every uh, 11 to 12 hours. Actually, they've broken that down in the last couple of years, and they have found that in areas of science, technology, information that we have around disease and all of these things, that our information, what we knew, now has become obsolete within the afternoon. Uh, The protocols that I was under at the beginning of cancer research right now, they've come up with brand new protocols. They have all kinds of brilliant medicines that have been developed in the last 18 months. In the last six months, they've had successful trials. Our knowledge, not just on science and how to be healthy, but on how to get into trouble, has doubled. And it's doubling every single day, two times a day. It's not just our information technology, but it's the way that we process that information, the way that we access it with our, not only our minds, uh, but the computers that we have built and the, the, the things that we are putting into play. Technology is increasing, and I would say even knowledge of the end times is increasing. That's sign of the times right now, folks. We are in the final hours of the last days. That's the information, but then it says Peace. The final thing that he gives Daniel is peace. He says, then Daniel's looking, and there's these angelic beings that are there, and they're saying, well, how long until these wondrous things happen? And it's one angel speaking to another angel, and he gets an answer there. 
So time, time and half a time, it's, it's three and a half years. And then Daniel thinks he gets to play, you know, with the angels now. So he asks the question, well, what about my question, Lord? And God says, hey, hey, just settle down, Daniel. This is, a, this is for us to know. He says in verse 9, Daniel, go on your way. The words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. But he does give them a, him a restatement. Remember, it says it's... Um, it was one angelic being to the other. He swears by him who lives eternally that it would be for time, times, and half a time. We walked through that in Daniel chapter 9, but it's three and a half years. He restates it in days here. He says, hey, there's going to be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who reaches the 1,335, a one-month purification right, right before the millennial time comes up, he says, hey, you just watch. I'm going to fulfill what I just said I'm going to fulfill. And when that happens, you'll understand. Daniel, what I want for you is not to know all the details. I want you to be at peace and know that I'm in control. I told you these things so you will see who is in control, not to give you control. He didn't say, Daniel, I put these things in place. Now, if you get this next step wrong... You're going to throw off the balance of the universe, and we're not going to be able to see any of this happen. He doesn't say that. What does he say to Daniel? He says, Daniel, I want you to go in peace. I want you to see when these things start falling into place that I am the one that is still in control. Do you trust me? Now, I just want to pause here. Believer, do you actually trust the Lord, or are you more anxious and agitated as the world gets stirred up? It's a famous phrase, a lot of people are using it as they do end times and prophecy seminars, that the, the world is not falling apart, it's falling into place. The Lord is still in control. Do you believe that? He's going to set everything right. How will I know when these things have taken place? And he says, Daniel, you'll know when you see it. If I haven't told you to do something specific, then you just wait and you know that I am the God that is in control. You need to live well knowing I am in control. Um, at the end of uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, many people have uh, quoted this. Um, Stortz, in his review of the book of uh, Daniel, actually seals the end of his commentary with this statement. He says, in C.S. Lewis's last battle, the concluding book of the Chronicles of Narnia, there was not the usual, and they lived happily ever after. Instead, on the last page of this book, after scores of exhilarating adventures and journeys that were through all the previous books, C.S. Lewis wrote that now had come they had come to the beginning of the real story. All the previous chapters of Adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. The real chapter one was about to begin, a story no one on earth had ever read, which would go on forever and ever with each chapter better than the last. Daniel is told by God, hey, I just want you to know you're going to rest you're going to be gathered with me. You're going to see these things unfold, and then eternity begins. And the, the first 10,000 years of human history, all of the stuff that's recorded in the Bible, all of that is just a blip and the title page in the beginning to what I have stored for believers for the rest of eternity. The question isn't whether or not I'm in control. I am. The question is, will you yield and join me? 
And so that's the question for the room. Have you given your life to Christ and found yourself at peace in a season that is turbulent? That's the question that the book of Daniel begs us to answer. Are we at peace as Daniel was called to be at peace? He says, but as for you, go on your way until the end. You will rest. By the way, who, who in here wouldn't just give all their money for a real rest? When's the last time you woke up and you said, man, I feel refreshed and unburdened and without any worry? He says, you go your way and rest. And then in the end, you'll rise and receive your allotted inheritance. There is something for you as well, believer. When will this happen? It'll happen at the end of days. You watch. I've got it. That's what he says. And the Lord seals the book. What are the conclusions that we have with the book of Daniel? Throughout this entire book, we've seen that conscience and character trump control every single time. Conscience and character. He says, Daniel, you be focused on who you are, not what it is that you're controlling or who you're rallying. You focus on being right with me. Second thing that we learn from the book of Daniel is that the God who controls history only reveals it to offer you hope. And you might be here today, and we have some, I know this, agnostics that are in the room. And you're saying, what is all this craziness? Can I tell you this? You can't worry about what is about to happen. Like I said, it actually says in Scripture that someday Russia and Turkey and Iraq are going to join together and have this goal of squashing Israel. That seems ridiculous 40, 50 years ago. Now it looks like it could be reading the newspapers or whatever your online algorithm gives you. The question isn't what will happen. The question is, do you know the one who says he's in control? Have you given your life to Christ? Don't worry about all the end time stuff in here. Worry about whether or not Jesus is credible. He died for you, was buried, and rose again. He controls history, and he reveals that so that you might know him. And finally, knowing the sign of the times is meant to make us ready, not anxious. Folks, uh, it is possible for somebody to be pregnant and not know the day or hour that they're going to give birth, right? Right? But there is a stage, men, where your wife gets to that if you don't have the bag packed and you're not ready to go to the hospital, you're just a fool, okay? (laughs) At nine months, one week, you better not start packing the bag, okay? You're getting ready to go. You're heading to the hospital. Folks, we just got to look around right now, and according to Scripture, we ought to have our bags packed. We don't know the day or the hour. But we're at nine months, according to the world. All of the signs are there. There's nothing left that is needing to happen. We shouldn't be anxious. We should be excited. Family gets realized at the end of a healthy birth. Family gets realized. Our family expands. We get to be, once again, face to face. What a beautiful thing. Are you ready? This morning, we have an opportunity to reflect in just that way to prepare our hearts, we take the Lord's Supper. On your way in, you should have received one of these cups. I just want you to uh, raise your hand. If you did not receive one, the men are ready right now to just uh, bring these to you. If you uh, did not get one, just keep your hand raised. They'll come to you. They've got the bags. We've got a few up here in the front and on the side.
As they bring those, familiarize yourself with those. There's bread on one side and juice on the other. There's two separate uh, pieces to that. But this is what I want you to think about. It says in Scripture that before we take this, uh, we are to reflect on our own hearts. Just as Daniel is in awe at what God says and then he is wondering if he's ready, He's called to reflect in Scripture. We as believers are called to reflect on our own lives. Before we take the Lord's Supper and reflect on his death, burial, and resurrection, and it says, and his soon return, we're to examine our hearts and see if there's anything between us and the Lord. So I want us just right now to bow our heads, close our eyes, and I want you to reflect in your own heart. Lord, is there anything between you and I? Am I ready to see you face to face as Daniel at the end of the book is ready to see the Lord? Is there anything that is between you and the Lord? Right now, just allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart. Is there anything that you need to take care of? What Scripture says is that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to do anything magical. At this moment, to unburden yourself of those things, you just confess and say, Lord, will you help me make this right? I see these things as sin. And then you participate in this Lord's Supper, a reminder that he paid for your sin. You don't have to. And also a reminder that he's coming again. Right now, ask the Lord in your heart. I'm going to pray. AJ and the team are going to lead us in worship to ready our hearts, and we'll take this these elements. Let's pray. Father God, we do ask as we wrap up the book of Daniel and we see that you have a plan for the end of days, uh, we know that it's not just a global plan, but it's also one that involves individuals that you call your children. We are your children because we placed our faith in you. Father, you say that you are coming again specifically for us that we will see you put history right, that there is a day coming where we will celebrate with you as you get rid of sin and you install righteousness as the only way that can be lived. Father, we praise you that you have a plan for history that's beyond us. We praise you for allowing us to be a part of it. We praise you that Christ came, died, was buried, and rose again so that we could be cleansed and have a relationship with you. I pray, Father, if there's anything that stands between anyone that's in the room right now and you, Father, you'd help them to confess it, to experience your forgiveness, and to take these elements with a clean heart and a sense of anticipation. Help us now, even as we worship, to be prepared. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just want you to familiarize yourself with this. Once again, uh, we'll start with the cup. So... Open that side. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 recounts for us what we should do in this moment. He says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
turn your cup over and open that other side, Paul continues. He says, and in the same way also, he took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture declares, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we have uh, this morning had an opportunity to reflect on that phrase, until he comes. We thank you for promises that you haven't just left us here to figure it out, that there isn't just a broken world and we've got to kind of feel around and hope that you will someday make things right. You have guaranteed that there is coming a day where you will put it all right. Father, your patience in this season is not because you lack concern, because you're patient, it says in Scripture, for all to come to salvation. Father, we pray you'd help us to be found faithful every single day to put you on display, to proclaim your name, to proclaim the good news, but also to eagerly anticipate your soon return. You are going to do what you said. Your word declares it. Father, we believe it and we pray that you'd help us to live each day looking forward to seeing how you will accomplish these things. We praise you for giving us just a little picture of what is to come. We praise you for the gift of your son, and we ask now that you'd help us to live in light of his return. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.